Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, the NFL Draft is in the books. Here at Saturday to Sunday, we have put out three podcasts already recapping every single pick from round one, from night two, rounds two and three, and round day three, rounds four through seven. I was fortunate enough on night one to be joined by Jake Anderson of Dynasty League Football and host uh, co-host of the Dino Crossroads podcast. And then night two, Bill Ladin uh, helped me go through every pick in round two and round three, and then did a solo podcast, just kind of giving my quick thoughts on every pick rounds four through seven. So what I'm going to do today is I've made my instant dynasty rookie rankings for people whose dynasty rookie drafts start right away. I'm going to go through my initial thoughts, what my rankings look like right now, but understand that a lot is going to change, you know, as I dig in a little bit more, really study the depth charts, you know, hear what's going on at rookie mini camp. And then obviously during training camp and preseason, I think things will definitely be adjusted. I just think it's one of those kinds of year that there's not a lot locked in. You're going to see people's rankings and they're going to be very different from one person to the next big ticket way. I think this is a very poor dynasty rookie drafts that you're going to see. I think looking into trading these picks, whether it's for future 2020 draft capital, whether it's for players, whether it's for, you know, solid veterans who can produce at RB2 or wide receiver two or three numbers, whether it's buying low on guys from previous draft classes that maybe haven't broken out yet. I think things like that are going to be things I really look into closely when it really comes down to this, because I just don't see a lot of things. I see about 10 to 12 guys that I'm kind of excited about. 
And then I really see it falling off a cliff after that, maybe another five or six names that intrigue me. And then really not much of anything. I think late second round, early third round picks have less value this year than I've ever seen in any other years before. Others might say, trade down, get more shots, and maybe you hit. I can understand that approach too. But to be honest with you, I would try to begin two picks probably in the top 15 or top 16. And then, you know, the rest of the guys I think are really just stashes, hope and wait and see guys that I don't think you're going to be able to rely on. So let's start right at the top. We'll start the quarterback position. Obviously, quarterback, a little devalued when you're talking about dynasty rookie drafts unless it's a two-quarterback or super flex league. My rankings, pretty straightforward. Kyle Murray at number one, Dwayne Haskins at two, Daniel Jones at three, Drew Locke at four, Jared Stidham at five, Will Greer at six, Ryan Finley at seven, Clayton Thorson at eight, Easton Stick at nine, and Trace McSorley at ten. Murray, clearly, if it's a super flex or two quarterback league, should be in consideration to be the 1.01 pick. Probably he should be the 1.01 pick unless you're really stockpiled the quarterback and then maybe look to trade the pick in one quarterback, typical dynasty leagues. I think he still warrants going in the first round. I have him as my eighth overall player, and I would even be okay taking him higher than that if you need a quarterback and you know you just don't see the value of anybody else there. Dwayne Haskins, I think he's also a guy in a two-quarterback league, should go in round one. I think if it's a one-quarterback league, I think he's more of a mid to late second round pick. Daniel Jones and Drew Locke, again, two-quarterback leagues. I think those guys go round two. And then in one-quarterback leagues, I think they're more round three type players uh, to pick and kind of wait it out and see. The rest of the guys, I think in two quarterback leagues, guys like Jared Stidham, Will Greer, Ryan Finley are all deserved to be drafted because I could see a scenario where they eventually get a chance to play and start. In one quarterback leagues, I think those guys are just watchless guys. Maybe if it's a really deep quarterback, a uh, really deep dynasty league, you can go out there and get Jared Stidham if you're a Tom Brady owner. So that's kind of the quarterback situation. I don't really feel like a lot, you know, needs to be discussed about the quarterbacks. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It's Murray's the guy you really want. Maybe a little Haskins and two quarterback leagues. Daniel Jones obviously has the draft capital, going to get a chance to play. I continue to say I think Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton is the ceiling, but around people around the NFL and the Giants thought much higher of him. And if they're right and myself and a lot of draft Twitter is wrong, well, then you're you're getting a great pick. But if even if we're right and it's Tannehill or Andy Dalton, that's still a serviceable player for two quarterback leagues. And Drew Locke, I think he could take over in Denver by late in this year. If Denver gets off to a slow start, I think he's – uh, going to be the, the next franchise quarterback there, or at least be given a couple of years to potentially show that. And both Daniel Jones and Drew Locke have a little bit of sneaky athleticism, so it could help out in fantasy on the ground as well. At the running back position, to me, it's a clear top three. They're basically in one tier, and then it falls off a cliff. Josh Jacobs is my clear number one running back. I think he's a little bit separated from himself. Number two is Miles Sanders. Number three is David Montgomery. I think in a traditional one quarterback league, Josh Jacobs would easily be my 1.01 pick. I think he'll either be the 1.01 or the 1.02 in most settings like that. I think Miles Sanders and David Montgomery both should go in the top five of any non-super flex or two quarterback league. So if it's a standard one quarterback league, I think Sanders and Montgomery should both go I would have Sanders at 1.02. I have Montgomery as my overall fifth player. I think both of those guys should go in the top five, even if it's a two quarterback league or super flex. I still think all three of those guys should come off the board within the first seven picks. I like Jacobs more complete player. 
going to be a focal point there for Oakland. Miles Sanders in Philadelphia, I like him, but they did just trade for Jordan Howard. And the you know Eagles continuously want to use a committee approach at the running back position. So I could see a scenario where Sanders still you know might be the guy, but only get like sixty to sixty five percent. So I think Jacobs has a much better chance of being in that seventy five percent plus clear goal line guy. So I like him and I like his receiving ability more than Sanders and Montgomery. Montgomery in Chicago is interesting. I mean, they they traded away, you know, Howard. Montgomery's a better player than Howard. He is. But I don't in Montgomery's a better pass catcher for sure. But I don't see a scenario where they're gonna reduce the touches and the workload in the receiving game of Tariq Cohen. So I do think Montgomery is going to be like a sixty percent type you know, player in terms of the running back workload. They also signed Mike Davis to a couple, like I think it was a three-year deal. So he's definitely going to be involved this year. So I like Montgomery. And because it's a down year overall for the rookie class, I think he warrants going in that top five, top six, top seven, depending on your league settings. But I, I, I'm i more excited about Jacobs and Sanders. They have three down potential and their landing spots uh, make me a little bit more excited. After that, I think it really falls off a cliff. I don't think anybody else warrants going in round one of any type of fantasy league, whether it's super flex, two quarterback. I have Justice Hill as my number four running back to Baltimore. He obviously doesn't have as much draft capital as the next three guys I'm going to say, but I like the opportunity there. I think he complements Mark Ingram well. They run so much that I think it's capable of two running backs to be effective, you know, RB2s or high RB3s. I think Justice Hill has that. He can make plays catch out of the backfield as well. And I like his explosiveness. And he did go early on in round four. So he does have some draft capital attached to him. Number five for me is Damian Harris at New England. Sony Michelle owner's got to be a little bit concerned. I know Damian Harris might take the job of Rex Burkhead, but he's physical. He's strong. He's an inside runner and he's a good goal line runner. So that could potentially, you know, limit Sony Michelle touchdowns. And we already know James White is going to limit Sony M- Michelle receiving work. So now I think you have all three of those guys are going to kind of make up the backfield there. And I, I think this really puts a damper on Sony Michelle's dynasty value. I understand he's probably going to be the early down guy, but Damian Harris can mix in there as well. If Damian Harris starts getting some of the goal line looks and that's not Sony Michelle, I think people are going to be really upset with what Sony Michelle produces. I like Sony Michelle. He was really high for me last year, but he needs to be a 10 to 12 touchdown guy, I think, to really live up to what people want him to be. And if he starts losing any of those touchdowns to Damian Harris, I do really think that could impact his fantasy value. Next for me is Darrell Henderson, the explosive big play for Redford Rams. Now, listen, if we hear girly news that they're going to limit Gurley to 13 to 15 touches a game, if we hear it's more serious, well, then Darrell Henderson shoots up the board and probably, you know, is the number four running back for me. And if something's really significant with Gurley, I could even see myself putting Henderson over David Montgomery as well. Great offense, big play threat, you know, the the receivers stretch the field and really open up the rushing lanes there. So, so Henderson could be a huge big play threat there. I'm making these rankings as if Todd Gurley is still going to be the bell cow. And by bell cow, I mean at least 18 to 22 touches a game. And then, you know, Darrell Henderson, you know, might see like six or seven or six to eight. If things change, this is a move. This is a ranking that could be adjusted. But right now I have Harris and Hill ahead of Henderson because I think their opportunity in terms of total percentage and workload and touchdown capabilities in in particular in Damian Harris's situation could be a little bit greater than Darrell Henderson. If someone has Henderson over Harris or, or Henderson over both Hill and Harris, I think it makes complete sense. I think I'll probably be in the minority on that. 
I bet a lot of people are going to have Darrell Henderson as their number four running back before Justice Hill and Damian Harris. I think they're all super close. They'll I'll probably shuffle four to seven a lot over the next couple of months here as more information and more stuff kind of unfolds. And number seven for me is Devin Singletary. He's got the best opportunity from this group because Buffalo has Frank Gore and you know, an aging LaShawn McCoy. They signed TJ Yeldon, who, you know, who I think could have a role there. But the thing about Singletary is I get he has the draft capital as a third round pick, but to me, he's a guy that is not gonna prevent them from looking to maybe get a bell cow, big impact player next year. If Buffalo kind of solidifies the line and they feel like they have their playmakers at wide receivers, I can see the Bills looking for a big impact running back next year, take some more pressure off Josh Allen and kind of grow with Josh Allen. I think Singletary is a little bit more than just a guy, but I think with so much influx of probably high-end running back talent next year, I'm a little bit concerned that Singletary could, you know, end up season whatever opportunity we might think he's going to have right now for the future down the line. So that's my thoughts on, on Devin Singletary. I also think when you watch his game, he's not much of a receiver at the backfield. TJ Yeldon's probably going to do that. He is a guy who's not that good in pass protection, even though he's, you know, a, a guy that people look at and I think might be that change of pace guy. He's not really that. He's really more wins on his vision, ability to make cuts, and his strength and power, even for a small guy. So I think you're going to see him mostly on early downs, but on early downs, is he going to, you know, split the workload? I think he's definitely going to split the workload this year with the veterans on the roster. Is he eventually going to be the guy that that is the goal line runner? So if he, but if he's not because he's so small, if he's not the goal line runner and he's not the guy catching passes out of the backfield, well then he's just an early down runner, and I don't see a lot of value in that. And like I said, I could see them moving on against somebody more electrifying, more three down potential a year from now. So that's, I'm probably a little bit lower on Singletary than some might have him. After that, the next guys are really just stashes. I think guys like Hill, Harris, Henderson, Singletary, to me, those guys should be second round rookie picks. I can see all of those guys going in the second round. But after that, I think the rest of the running backs are guys you just kind of take a stash on. You you draft them in the third, fourth, fifth rounds, and you kind of hope that, you know, depth chart opens up an injury, an opportunity. Maybe they're handcuffs to guys in your roster, but I don't see a lot of standalone value for any of the guys I'm going to rattle off right here. Number eight is Alexander Madison. He's going to, he, he had some quality draft capital as a third round pick, but he's in Minnesota playing behind Dalvin Cook. So unless it's a Dalvin Cook owner, then maybe I target him in late second, early third. But if not, you're going to need a Dalvin Cook injury to really make make Alexander Madison viable. Bryce Love, Washington, is probably not going to play much this year. They also drafted Darius Geis last year. So unless unless you think Darius Geis' injury is going to prevent them from ever getting back to what he used to be, I don't see a lot of value. Bryce Love's a big play threat, but he's coming off a major injury. And they have a guy that they invested a second-round pick in last year to be a bell cow there. And Bryce Love is not really a guy who's going to impact the game receiving too often. So I don't see, you know, again, just stash him. Tony Pollard, the offensive weapon chess piece, went to Dallas. I think that's an interesting landing spot. I think in PPR leagues, you could see him having some value here or there. So Pollard is a guy that that intrigues me a little bit in the Naheem Hines way. I could see me potentially moving up Tony Pollard a little bit more once I kind of hear what their plans are for him. If he's just going to be a change of pace, third down back, 
and they're saying five, six touches, then I'm probably not as excited. But if they think he's going to play some slot, use him on like jet sweeps, use him on some traditional running plays, maybe use him you know, as a wide receiver at times. Well, then I think maybe Tony Pollard moves up and maybe he becomes my number eight guy because he could at least have maybe RB3 value in PPR leagues at times. Number 11 and 12 and 13, Raquel Armstead. He's the backup to Leonard Fournette in Jacksonville. I like his game. Fournette gets hurt a lot. He's already kind of soured there a little bit, so Armstead might get an opportunity there behind Len Fournette. Benny Snell in Pittsburgh is probably going to be the backup to James Conner. So if if James Conner struggles or gets hurt, Benny Snell could emerge. But if, if I'm not a James Conner owner, I'm not that excited about drafting Benny Snell unless it's, you know, fourth round and I kind of stash him or, or somewhere in the third round probably. Dexter Williams out of Green Bay. They obviously have two guys, Jamal Williams and Jones, ahead of him. Maybe he emerges there, but, I mean, that's pretty far down the depth chart. But I don't think they love those two guys. So I'm intrigued by Williams only because of the opportunity and the landing spot that he ended up with with a really good offense. At 14, I have Travis Homer, someone Matt and I have been big fans of. I think he could be the CJ Procise to that backfield. So he's another guy who, like like Tony Pollard, I could see myself moving up once I kind of see and, and hear what their role might be for him. Because they have Chris Carson, they have Rashard Penny. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of Travis Homer in terms of rushing the ball. But his receiving ability, I think, could make him a weapon and make him a factor in deep dynasty leagues with a PPR component. Travion Williams and Rodney Anderson are my 15-16. These are two guys that I was really high on. Rodney Anderson was my number two running back on film. Travion Williams was my number six. But I love Joe Mixon's talent. I think he's one of the most talented running backs in the league. So now you have Williams and Anderson vying for potentially a backup there. I think Mixon's a three-down player. So as much as I love these guys' talents, this is where you do have to react to draft capital. None of these guys have much draft capital attached to them, you know, as day three guys. Anderson's got the injury issues. We don't even know if he's going to make the team based on the medicals. We got to kind of wait and see. And based on the fact that Travion Williams was also drafted. So I love these guys' talent, but I don't know how they're not more than late third or fourth round picks that you just kind of stash somewhere and, and see what happens. And then... At 17, I have Darwin Thompson, KC. Love the player. The The landing spot is intriguing. Do they use him as like a Tariq Cohen type player? And if so, with only Damian Williams there and Carlos Hyde, they could look at a guy like uh, Darwin Thompson as a guy who can fill a little bit of the void of Tyree Kill if Tyree Kill is no longer going to be there. Him and McCall Hardman, who I'll talk about in a little bit, could potentially fill that void. So I think that's an interesting landing spot. Then rounding out the running backs, 18, I have Ty Johnson out of Detroit, 19, Jordan Scarlett out of Carolina, 20, Quadre Allison out of, uh, sorry, Ty Johnson, who was drafted by the Detroit Lions, 19, Jordan Scarlett, who went to the Panthers, 20, Quadre Allison, who went to the Falcons, 21, Mike Weber, who went to Dallas, 22, Carrot White, who went to Chicago, and then 23, Miles Gaskin, who went to Miami. I have not put in any of the UDFAs yet in my rankings. No, some of those things aren't even official yet. Some sign contracts, some just get rookie invites. So right now, I've just ranked the guys who were drafted. From that last group, Ty Johnson is a guy who I think could emerge as like a small part of a committee, big play threat. I like his talent, but I love on Johnson, so I don't see much of a role there besides a you know a handful change of pace touch player there with Ty Johnson. Nineteen Jordan Scarlett could be a big power component, just kind of added in. But we've seen Christian McCaffrey is going to be the workhorse there, so unless it's an injury, I don't see a lot of value for Jordan Scarlett. Quadra Allison was surprised he was drafted. Obviously, adds a little bit of a bigger physical toughness component to that Atlanta backfield, but things would really have to break right for him to be a big component. Mike Weber in Dallas, I, I like the talent. I think he could emerge to be 
Ezekiel Elliott's backup, but I already talked about Tony Pollard. So if Tony Pollard's doing the receiving and the change of pace stuff, Mike Weber is really just a handcuff to your Ezekiel Elliott owners. 22, Carrot White went to Chicago. Like I said, White is a guy who, big play for it, went to play to Florida Atlantic with Devin Singletary. But we already talked about they have Tariq Cohen. They have Mike Davis. They invest in, in Montgomery. I don't see a path to White even making the team unless they keep four running backs. And then 23, Miles Gaskin. Another guy that if I hear he has a legitimate chance to be the backup to Kenyon Drake, I could see myself potentially moving him up because I do think he's got some talent, but he doesn't have a lot of draft capital. So I don't even think it's a lock for him to make the roster, but I do like it. He always is reminding me of Samir Abdullah. So very interesting there. So let's take this to the tight ends first, and then I'll end with the wide receivers. Tight ends, I think the top three are very intriguing. I think right now there's a clear debate between number one and number two. Is it Hawkinson? Is it Noah Fant? And if Minnesota moves on from Kyle Rudolph, I think by the summer, it could potentially be a conversation of all three of them, Hawkinson, Fant, and Irv Smith. I think Irv Smith is the the one who can transition to the NFL quickest, his route running is top notch. Really impressed with Irv Smith, but he's got a I think him and Kirk Cousins would be really good together, but it's going to take some time to see if they move on from Kyle Rudolph and he was a second round pick, but I think that's plenty of draft capital to think he's the long-term answer there at the tight end position. And I love his receiving ability. So I'm a big Irv Smith fan, but right now he's got to be number three. Right now I have Hawkinson at one and Noah Fan at two. I have flip-flopped that multiple times already in the last 24 hours. Hawkinson's going to play a lot more because he's a, he's a great blocker. So he's going to be on the field 80 and 90% of the time. But in Detroit, they already have some established pass catchers. They want to be a power running football team. They got Galladay. They got Marvin Jones. Hawkinson's going to be a, a blocker a lot. So I like him more. I think he's a way more well-rounded player. And I think he's going to play more. So right now he's the guy. I think they envision a Gronk type role for him. I've continued to compare him to Hunter Henry, but a more athletic one. I do think Detroit has big plans for him, but I also am a little concerned about what they already have there, the type of offense they want to be. I think Hawkinson could score a lot of touchdowns as early as this year, but in terms of targets, consistently, yardage, it's it's questionable. Noah Fant depends on how Denver wants to use him. If they just ask him to run the routes that he's comfortable with and he's on the field enough and he's playing a lot of wide receiver mostly and slot and they're not or and detached and they're not asking him to block much, I think Noah Fan could easily be number one here. Joe Flacco loves the tight end. We know that. But I think a little bit Noah Fan's going to see the same issues that David Njoku's had, especially early on where he didn't play as much as we thought or expected because his route running needed to be refined. His route tree needed to be expanded a little bit. So I do think there's some of that with Noah Fant as well. But if someone has Noah Fant, one, TJ Hawkinson, two, I don't blame them. I think they're clearly one, two, Irv Smith right now because Kyle Rudis there have to be number three. Some people have their, the tight ends way up there, top five, top six in their overall rookie rankings. I'm a little bit, I like all their talents a lot, a little bit more conservative. I have them at the back end, you know, around 10 to 13 is where you start seeing Hawkinson and Noah Fant for me. And then Irv Smith, a little bit more mid-second round. So that's kind of how I see these tight ends uh, right now. After that, the next one I'm intrigued with is Jay Sternberger. He's number four on my list. Going to Green Bay, attaching yourself to the Aaron Rodgers offense is very good an opportunity there for him to replace Jimmy Graham and be a big weapon there, I think is legitimate. So I do like Jay Sternberger. I think, you know, late second round or mid second round is, is, is an area where I'd feel comfortable potentially taking a gamble on Jay Sternberger because I am intrigued with his talent 
and what he could potentially be in the future, but it's just going to take some time. So, you know, sometimes you, you know, you look at this and say, okay, how do I rank him compared to these wide receivers that went on night two? And I think it's a very hard challenge at times. And number five tight end is Dawson Knox out of Buffalo. Obviously, minimal production at college, but I like the talent. And I think Buffalo is going to have an opportunity to be the clear-cut starter sooner rather than later. He's a two-way player. He can block as well, too, so I like that. Number six is Cahill Warren out of Houston. Houston's drafted a lot of tight ends, but I think Warren is clearly going to run away with that job. So, you know, we, we saw in college Deshaun Watson really like throwing to the tight end. So I think Warren is a guy sneaky pick in a tight end premium league or late in a one tight end type league, regular tight end league. I like him. Josh Oliver out of Jacksonville, another guy who could emerge there. Nick Foles, obviously the quarterback, likes throwing to the tight end. I'm intrigued by Josh Oliver, has some draft capital attached to him, obviously, as well. After that, I don't think anybody else is draftable. I think it would be deep two tight end or tight end premium leagues with super deep rosters that you kind of stash people. How I have it next would be Foster Moreau at Oakland. Does he receiving ability continue to develop? Number nine, I'd have Caden Smith backing up George Kittle. I do like his receiving ability. Number 10, Drew Sample of Cincinnati, one of the best blocking tight ends in the class. Number 11, Alzey Mack out of New Orleans. Doesn't have the draft capital of the other guys, but he's A little bit intriguing because of his dual ability. He can block, but I like his athletic ability to be a weapon in the pass game. And obviously, New Orleans utilizes, we've seen them historically utilize the tight ends at times. So keep an eye on Alzey Mack. He could be a guy that moves up over those, that the blocking guys, Moreau, Kane Smith, and Drew Sample. I could see myself moving Alzey Mack above them. And also, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the draft, Caleb Wilson, who went to Arizona. I could see myself moving him up above those blocking guys, but they don't have the draft capital right now. And some of these blocking guys, do develop a little bit more into receiving guys at the next level. So right now I'm using the draft capital with Moreau and Drew Sample to have those those guys over some of the other guys. At 13, Trayvon Wesco, uh, interesting player. I think he's going to be a lot of two tight end sets for the Jets with him and Christopher Herndon. I think you're going to be intriguing. 14, Isaac Nauta going to Detroit. Going to back up probably TJ Hawkinson, be using two tight end sets. 15, Zach Gentry, Pittsburgh. I know he has some draft capital attached to him, but I don't see a guy who's a very good receiver. So I, I see a less athletic version of Jesse James, maybe there, but I'm not sure. He's, I think to me, he's just a number two or number three tight end. And Tommy Sweeney out of Buffalo. I like Sweeney a lot more. And if it wasn't the second tight end Buffalo got, he'd be a little bit higher on my board. So that's kind of the tight ends. Again, I think there's seven draftable guys. The rest are just watch list guys. I think the from eight to 16 could be ranked in just about any order. I'll probably change them a lot as information and comes out. And as I see the depth charts kind of take fold as we get closer and closer to training camp and news comes out of the rookie mini camps and what their plans are. But one to seven, I think is pretty locked in those seven names. Maybe you flip Hawkinson and Fant. We'll take a wait and see approach and see if Kyle Rudolph is cut or traded from Minnesota. So that's kind of the tight end situation there. Let's take this out to the wide receiver position to kind of close the night. The wide receiver position, I think, is going to be really fascinating because I do not think there is a lot of clarity in the wide receiver group right now. Let me run off my top 10 and then I'll talk about them a little bit. Number one is Nikhil Harry who's now in New England. Number two is Debo Samuel in San Francisco. Number three is A.J. Brown with the Titans. Number four is D.K. Metcalf with the Seahawks. Number five is McCole Hardman 
with the Chiefs. Number six is Marquise Brown with the Ravens. Number seven is Paris Campbell with the Colts. Number eight is Hakeem Butler with the Cardinals. Number nine is Andy Isabella with the Cardinals. Number 10 is J.J. Arcega-Whiteside with the Eagles. Harry's going to be at the top for a lot of people's rankings as the clear top wide receiver, maybe 1.01 in non-superflex leagues. I'm a little bit less excited than I think some people are going to be with him. We have not seen a receiver go to New England and make a big impact out of the draft in quite some time. They became a power running football team. Brady likes to attack in the short to intermediate range and really go to guys he trusts. So I still think they're going to be a team built around throwing to the running backs, throwing to uh, Julian Edelman. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve there. I think Nikhil Harry's best statistical years could come after Tom Brady leaves and based on maybe them running a different offense down the line. So I think that's my thoughts on Nikhil Harry, but he has a draft capital. He, he, he's going to immediately become a starter. So I do think he, belo- he deserves to be there. In terms of my second wide receiver, after Nikhil Harry at the number one spot, it's definitely Debo Samuel from South Carolina who ended up at San Francisco. They took an early second round pick and used it on him. Now, I was a big Debo Samuel fan. He was number five on my rankings before the draft. And then with that type of draft capital, I'm a big fan of Debo Samuel. I think it's a perfect landing spot with Kyle Shanahan. I think him and Dante Pettis are very interchangeable. They can play outside. They can play inside. They can go in motion. They can play the slot. They can win vertically, intermediate, or in the short game as well. I really like Debo Samuel. I think he's probably one of the safest picks. I don't think there's a bust factor. I think he's going to be a very good wide receiver. I've said repeatedly that I think he's a combination of Jarvis Landry in terms of strength and physicality, in terms of body type, but then way more explosive So I say also partially like a DJ Moore as well in terms of his versatility. So I really like Debo Samuel. That's why he's at number two. Number three, A.J. Brown. My thoughts on A.J. Brown are this. I love the player. He was my number one wide receiver pre-draft, but I absolutely hate the landing spot. Tennessee gave Adam Humphreys big money. He's going to be a slot guy. So now I think A.J. Brown's best spot is a big slot. I think he can win on the outside, but I think his best spot is inside very much like a Juju Smith. Corey Davis there. They're a run-first offense. I have a lot of questions about Marcus Mariota. So it's one of those things of, you know, they could move on from Mariota next year. I don't think the coaching staff is going to change. So they're going to keep up this power football. So I'm a little concerned about A.J. Brown. After Nikhil Harry and Debo Samuel, they're my clear one too. I don't feel comfortable with the next group. I think you could shake it up and I can do rankings every single day. And I think they can change. I think three through seven are very much going to be very fluid during rookie mini camps and mini camps and then training camp and then preseason. So it really all depends on what when your draft is. Right now, because AJ Brown was my favorite talent pre-draft, I'm putting him at three, but I'm not loving the landing spot. He'd not be a guy that I'm actively looking to get. I just think it's one of those types of drafts. I'd probably look to trade the pick, to be honest with you, and see if there's somebody who really wanted it. My fourth wide receiver was DK Metcalf. Like the opportunity in Seattle, especially if Doug Baldwin is forced to retire. DK Metcalf, Gary Jennings, Tyler Lockett could develop into the three wide receivers they have there. I have some concerns, though, about DK Metcalf besides him just being a specialist. Win vertically, win in the red zone, but can he be a consistent route runner, expand his route tree, and make an impact week to week? You know, I see often Russell Wilson makes so many things happen on the fly. 
at times I'm sure he's going to throw the ball up to DK Metcalf and give him an opportunity. So he, he's attached to himself with as best a quarterback situation as anybody that we've talked about tonight because he's with Russell Wilson and Wilson's got a lot of years left. At number five, this might surprise people. And to be honest with you, until before I recorded this, I had him at number three. That's McCole Hardman from Georgia. He was but a lot of other receivers there. Didn't get a lot of opportunities, but explosive, explosive playmaker, elite speed and burst, acceleration, change of direction. He went to Kansas City. I think there's a legitimate chance they use him very similarly to how they use Tyreek Hill. Now, I'm not saying he's going to put up the stats Tyreek Hill did, but I can see everything they asked of Tyreek Hill. I think they could ask of McCall Hardman, and I think he got an opportunity to really be one of the sleepers in this rookie class. I think right now he's probably going late round one to somewhere early to mid round two. I'm much higher on him. I'd be willing to take him. Like I said, right now he's my ninth overall, but to be honest with you, I think he can go as high as four or five and I'd be totally okay. I would say he can go as high as five and at worst six and I'd be totally okay with it. That's how much I like the player. Right after him, Marquise Brown, obviously lands in Baltimore. I love the player. It was my number two pre-draft, but I, it's hard. Is he going to make big plays? Is he going to make splash plays? Absolutely in Baltimore. But is he going to be consistent with that offense and Lamar Jackson? I have great concerns about that. Then you also have the size component. I'm not as worried about that, but I really am uncomfortable with the landing spot and the consistency in which he could play. He was already going to be a little bit of risk and reward, big play or nothing. Now he's attached himself to probably the least inspiring passing offense in the entire NFL. And number seven, Paris Campbell. Landed with the Colts, I could see him being as high as three or four or five or six or seven. So I really think three through seven can be mixed up in any which way, and I am okay with it. Whether it's Brown, Metcalf, Hardman, Marquise Brown, and Paris Campbell, whether you put Paris Campbell third, whether you put Marquise Brown third, even if you want to take McCauley Hardman third, I'm okay with it. But I really do think Paris Campbell is unique, interesting. I think he's a better route runner than people give him credit for, but T.Y. Hilton's going to be the guy still running the majority of vertical routes. I think Paris Campbell is going to be really effective in the short to intermediate range, plays it, make plays after the catch. Defenses are going to have to account for T.Y. Hilton, and I think Paris Campbell has a lot of versatility, can use him on jet sweeps and the rounds, short to intermediate, but he's got explosive speed that he could also take the top off defenses and get vertical, even though we didn't see that at Ohio State. So to me, there's a big drop after that in terms of what I feel comfortable with. Number eight and number nine are both Cardinals. It's Hakeem Butler and Andy Isabella. Hakeem Butler went the first pick in the fourth round. We wanted more draft capital attached to him, but because I had him higher than Andy Isabella pre-draft and they both landed in the same spot, I think Butler's got more upside, but I could see them featuring Isabella more. I mean, what teams do, Sig Sig Bloom always says the best, teams can't lie. They tell us things on draft weekend. They took Andy Isabella at the end of the second round or right in the beginning of the third round. They took Hakeem Butler to start the fourth round. So clearly Andy Isabella was the priority for them, not Hakeem Butler. And Andy Isabella is a priority, even though they already had Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald, they wanted Isabella first. And then they kind of said the value on Butler was too good. So I think Butler's got more upside, more touchdown capability, but Isabella is not just a slot guy. I think that's going to be Christian Kirk's job. I think when push comes to shove, you know, once Larry Fitzgerald retires, you're going to have Hakeem Butler and Andy Isabella on the outside, Christian Kirk on the inside, and then another guy we're going to talk about later, Keyshawn Johnson could potentially be in as well. I think they're going to run a lot of four wide sets, which would have Fitzgerald and Kirk inside for now, Isabella and Butler on the outside. And then 
once Fitzgerald retires, you could see Isabella or Keyshawn Johnson uh, alternate between inside and outside because they do have the capabilities to win in both areas. So Butler and, and Isabella are my 8-9. I have J.J. Orsiga-Whiteside at 10. He's a clone of Alshon Jeffrey, I think, which is probably the guy he's eventually going to push out of Philadelphia. I, I could see J.J. Orsiga-Whiteside being higher, and some people might have him in the mix of the other guys that we were talking about. Marquise Brown, Paris Campbell, McCall Hardman, all those guys. I didn't love our Siegel Whiteside as much pre-draft. I had him at like 12 or 13. So part of that, you know, my rank here is, well, I think the land spot's pretty good. They still have Zach Ertz. They still have Alshon Jeffrey. Deshaun, Jack- Deshaun Jackson went back there. They still have Nelson Aguilar. I think he's a guy who maybe would be a great buy low at the end of this, his first rookie year. Maybe if they're thinking about potentially moving on from Alshon Jeffrey, he's at 10. And then the other two guys that I'd be willing to draft in the second round are Terry McLaurin and Deontay Johnson. Both of them have top 100 draft capital attached to them. There's not a lot of guys in Washington on the depth charts and McLaurin who reminds me a lot of a golden Tate going to be with his former quarterback, uh, Dwayne Haskins, so I like that chemistry and connection they already have. Deontay Johnson, the Steelers, always do a fantastic job of drafting wide receivers. They also said that they had a first-round grade on him. So maybe they did, maybe they didn't. It's Lions season, we know, but they did come out and say that. So they're definitely putting a little pressure and a little bit, you know, basically saying, listen, we think so highly of this guy that that's we thought he was a first-round value. So McLaurin and Deontay Johnson finish out my top 12. There are some other guys that I'd still be interested in the next tier. In the third round, I'd be or late second, I'd be eyeing Miles Boykin. And then Boykin, similar to Marquise Brown in Baltimore, they barely could provide enough value for one wide receiver to be viable. Could they possibly provide enough passing offense for two to be viable? So that's why Boykin's down here. And then 14 and 15, two guys I liked a lot pre-draft, but they fell to day three, Riley Ridley to Chicago. He went at least in round four. So he's got some draft capital attached to him. I don't think there's any fear of him not making the team, but there's a pretty crowded depth chart there in Chicago. You got Allen Robinson. They signed, they drafted Anthony Miller last year. They have Taylor Gabriel. They have Trey Burden as the tight end. They pass a lot to Terry Cohen. So I like Riley Ridley, but his draft stock and landing spot aren't ideal. So I think he's somewhere in that mid to late round three area where maybe you put him on your team and you kind of wait it out. And then Calvin Harmon, obviously Matt and I were big fans. He was my number three rated wide receiver for a while. He was at number one and number two then, but goes late in the draft, sixth round. I had a feeling he could fall the the early fourth, but I thought that was, you know, okay, like maybe I don't take him in round one, but I'd be eyeing him a lot in that early to mid second round range if he was in the fourth round. But now going off well into the sixth round, that really puts a damper on things. I mean, there's no lock that he makes the roster. I already talked about the draft of Terry McLaurin. They have, you know, Richardson there, some other guys. It'll be interesting to see if he gets an opportunity. I still believe in the talent. I think he can, if there was one guy on day three who I think can have the biggest fantasy impact, Calvin Harmon's my guy I'm picking, but you've got to react to what happens on draft weekend. It would be foolish for me not to. I can't have him in my top 10. He can't be a first or second round pick. I think somewhere in the mid to late round three is where I would think about taking Calvin Harmon uh, in a rookie draft. And then after that, I think there's a couple guys, again, round three, round four, uh, or later, Jalen Hurd out of San Francisco, versatile chess piece. I'm intrigued to see if he does any short yard uh, 
goal line rushing attempts because Kyle Shanahan did say he can play tight end, he can play running back, he can play wide receiver. So versatile chess piece, a lot of time those guys don't provide fantasy value, but if he's getting some goal line work, that can change the narrative there. Darius Slayton is 17 for me. I think he has a legitimate chance to become the third wide receiver on the Giants this year. Now, third wide receiver would still probably mean fifth in terms of the pecking order of of passing attempts. So I don't think it's still something, you know, you have Tate, you have Sterling Shepard, you have Saquon, and you have Evan Ingram. So he might be the third wide receiver, fourth wide receiver this year, but at probably not going to translate to much fantasy stats but i do like his skill set i think he was a he was a good find for the giants in the sixth round he, he doesn't have a lot of draft capital but he'd be a guy that still intrigues me because he's got that calling card that vertical speed the giants don't really have a guy like that so i could see him develop into the giants third wide receiver maybe in a year or two golden tate moves on maybe he emerges so he'd be a guy to be somewhat intrigued with late round three maybe for him and then gary jennings i already talked about a little bit has an opportunity if Doug Baldwin retires, does Gary Jennings, you know, and DK Metcalf have a chance to kind of join Tyler Lockett and form their main three wide receivers? Possibly, it's it's not impossible. Jennings had a, had a really strong pre-draft process, uh, and that's what ended up getting him drafted as high as he did. Hunter Renfro. It all depends on how quickly he develops into their main slot receiver. If he does, I think he could become an Adam Humphreys type player and have have fantasy value. He's a great route runner. Play strength is fantastic. Good hands, keeps the chain moving, a Wayne Krabat type player. So I love Hunter Renfro in terms of fan. I think he's a much better real life player than maybe fantasy, but I think in the PPR league, he's potentially a guy to draft and kind of hold it out and, and see. Keyshawn Johnson, I already talked about a little bit of Arizona, very crowded depth chart there, but I, I do like the the talent. And if Larry Fitzgerald, once Larry Fitzgerald retires, maybe there's an opportunity there for him. Travis Fulgram in Detroit, another guy, great blocker, but big body. Good body control. You know, does he eventually emerge there to be their number three or number four wide receiver down the line? If Marvin Jones, you know, leaves, does does he have an opportunity to to emerge there and be their number two or number three? We'll kind of, you know, have to wait that out. And then some late round guys keep an eye on Minnesota drafted Dylan Mitchell and, uh, and BC Johnson. And then a couple guys that I was very unfamiliar with four of them, uh, Jawan Winfrey, uh, who played at Colorado, Marcus Green, who played at Louisiana Monroe, and John Ursua, who played at Hawaii, and Scott Miller, who played at Bowling Green State. Those are just complete dart throws. Uh, keep them on your radar and you know, and just kind of wait it out and see if any of those guys, you know, make a name for themselves during training camp or the preseason. So that's really it, guys. Like I said, I, I'm not going into the uh, the UDFAs at this moment, we'll circle back to that on another podcast. Kind of want to let the dust settle and see who ends up where, you know, check out the signing bonuses, who legitimately I think has a shot to make the roster. Obviously, there was a ton of other good wide receivers that did not get drafted from Emmanuel Hall, who I thought had a legitimate chance to be in a late round three, early round four pick. Anthony Johnson, I thought was going to be around four round five guys. Stanley Morgan Jr. I've talked about how much I liked him. Uh, I thought he was going to be around five guy. Reminds me a lot uh, of a, like a Heinz Ward type player, uh, a Robert Woods type player, David Sills, Keelan Doss, Preston Williams, Alex Wesley, Tyree Brady. So many names uh, that, that didn't get drafted that I actually thought were going to get drafted. So it's really fascinating to see these guys, where they end up. Do they even get an opportunity? Even if you like these guys pre-draft, you know, somebody might've loved, you know, some of these guys, David Sills, Keelan Doss, these guys, Anthony Johnson, Emmanuel Hall. You got to be realistic. 
the odds of these guys hitting are so, so low. And you got to make sure that you don't overvalue them because of, of what you dotted them pre-draft. I'm not saying you can't put them on the back of your roster. If it's a super deep league with a deep taxi squad, I'm not saying they shouldn't be on your watch list. They should, because if you trust your eyes and you trust what you saw, but you can't, you can't be foolish in fantasy football and not be reactive to draft capital and opportunity. The leash is just longer and it means more. If you get, if you have draft capital around you, you're going to get more opportunities. They're going to feel like they almost got a Porsche on the field and, and you're going to get that opportunity And those late round guys and UDFA guys just are really at a disadvantage when it comes to that. Real quick, if you talk about my overall big board, very fluid there too. Uh, but I will just run through real quick with no uh, context. My top 25, it's number one, and this is for a uh, non-super flex or two quarterbacks. So one quarterback, Dynasty League, these would be my rankings. Josh Jacobs at one, Miles Sanders at two, Nikhil Harry at three, Debo Samuel at four, David Montgomery at five, A.J. Brown six, D.K. Metcalf seven, Kyler Murray eight, McCole Hardman nine, Marquise Brown 10, Paris Campbell 11, TJ Hawkinson, 12, Noah Fan 13. I already talked about those tight ends. Most people probably have them a little bit higher up. 14, and I love their talent, but in terms of fantasy, it just takes a while for tight ends, and there's a lot to go into really being a stud tight end in terms of fantasy. 14, Hakeem Butler. 15, Andy Isabella. 16, J.J. Orsiga-Whiteside. 17, Irv Smith. 18, Dwayne Haskins, 19, Justice Hill, 20, Damian Harris, 21, Darrell Henderson, 22, Devin Singletary, 23, Terry McLaurin, 24, Deontay Johnson, and 25, Jay Sternberger. I think there's a clear teardrop after Jay Sternberger. The next guys on my list are Miles Boykin, the other two quarterbacks, Daniel Jones and Drew Locke, followed by a couple more tight ends, such as... uh, Dawson Knox, Cahill Warren, and Josh Oliver. That bets me to 31. And then we start going into guys like Calvin Harmon and Riley Ridley, who don't really have a lot of draft capital. So I don't I don't even think I don't even think I think about two rounds at best that I feel somewhat okay with making picks. So if people are eager to trade for like their for third round rookie picks and you can get back a quality veteran that could be a wide receiver three, could be a running back three. I would be making that move this year if people are overvaluing these picks because in the third round, you're talking about, you know, taking one of these tight ends that, you know, it's probably got years before they really are viable. You're talking probably about Daniel Jones and Drew Locke and then talking about guys like Calvin Harmon, Riley Ridley, Jalen Hurd, Darius Slayton, you know, Alexander Madison, you know, guys like that. So something to keep a close eye on intriguing nonetheless so there it is guys hopefully you enjoyed this solo episode of me doing uh my dynasty rookie rankings immediate reaction you know right after uh the nfl draft weekend if you miss any of the recap shows please go back and listen to him the one opening night uh with jake anderson was fantastic then on night two bill Ladin joined me to recap every pick in round two and round three and then i did a solo one recapping rounds four through seven were my quick hitting thoughts on every single prospect uh, as well uh if you like the ranking show, I think you're going to love the next show. We are going to have a couple guests on, and we are going to do a two or three round dynasty uh, rookie mock draft. So I think that'll kind of give some context to what I was talking about tonight. So that'll be a lot of fun as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of Dave and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>